Good morning. Let me try that again. Good morning. That sounds a little better. Sounds a little better. Man, we are so honored and uh, thrilled that you're with us today at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are thrilled that you're with us. Thank you so much for coming to worship with us. Uh, we're excited about what God is doing in our church. Uh, you know, the last two s- summers, we've been in a sort of a summer series in the book of Acts. And I love the book of Acts. It is maybe my favorite book in the entire New Testament. Um, it's so full of energy. It's so full of excitement. God's doing incredible miracles through the Holy Spirit. He's establishing uh, the church. He's expanding the church through regular people just like you and like me. And it kind of blows my mind. But one of the coolest things about what God is doing in the book of Acts is that it's really not over. The book is not really finished. God is still establishing and expanding his church. Did you know that? So we're still in the book of Acts in, in ways. And he's counting on us to be the ones that will take this message of Jesus to the world. So I, I'm excited to get back into our study in the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts is really about the mission of Jesus, the great commission of Jesus that he spoke in Matthew 28. To go and be disciples, right? To, to baptize those that we make disciples and, and train them, to teach them, to observe all the things that Jesus taught us. But a lot of the problem, I'm afraid, in today's church is we've kind of made uh, mission something that other people do. You know what I mean? We said, yeah, I, I know that guy is a missionary. He does mission things. I know that, that couple, they work with a mission organization in the city or they go do, right? We've kind of placed an us and them sort of thing when it comes to missions. And that's not missions. The reality is we are all on mission. Did you know that? Every single one of us is on mission. But for some reason, a lot of the churches sort of said, no, I'm just going to stay on the sidelines and I'll let the people who are really serious about Jesus do the witnessing. I'll let the people who are the professional Christians, we'll let them go take the message of Jesus and I'll just sit back and watch. But that is not the heart of God. In fact, if you have a card with you this morning that we gave you at the door, on the back is just a few notes from what we're going to talk about today in our service. The first is this, we all tell the story. It's on all of us to share this mission of Jesus. Jesus gave the Great Commission, right? And when he did, he gave it to 11 disciples. Those were the leaders of what was going to be the early church. They are going to lead this movement, this expansion of the church. They're the leaders. He tells them, hey, I want you to go in all the world, baptize, teach, and train, right? And there's something interesting else happens. Jesus also shares, maybe in the same conversation, hey, you you don't do this alone, right? The Holy Spirit is going to empower you. Because I'm sure the disciples are going, you want us to do what? Where? How? Right? That's what I would be saying. In fact, something I say almost every day. God, how are we going to reach Southwest Little Rock? God, how are we going to reach the city of Little Rock? How are we going to reach beyond uh, the borders of our, of our little community? God, how are you going to use us? Because I know us, and I don't, I'm not sure we can do it. And he goes, you're right, you can't. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of the living God is going to empower you to take the gospel of Jesus to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Remember that? So he's told in both conversations, Jesus is speaking to the leaders of the church. Okay, the Great Commission and speaking to them about the Spirit of the living God coming to empower them. So, okay, that's, that's leaders. But what happens in Acts 2? In Acts 2, something amazing happens. The Spirit of the living God does fall on the church. But it doesn't just fall on the leadership of the church, does he? 
right? Acts 1 says that the church is made up of about 120 people, not too different probably than what we have in our, our auditorium this morning. So there's about 120 people, but the Holy Spirit doesn't just fall on the leaders, does he? Isn't that interesting? He falls on everyone, men and women, everyone in the upper room together, right? They have uh, flaming tongues of fire sitting on their head, whatever that looked like. They're, they're speaking in different languages, whatever that was an amazing experience. But I think God is trying to explain something to us as his church that it's not just on the leaders. Yes, he gave the, the explanation and what's going to happen to leadership, but when the Holy Spirit comes to actually empower us to do the work of ministry, when the Holy Spirit actually comes to, to send us to be able to do what he wants us to do in the world, he falls on everyone, right? It's on all of us. We all tell this story. I, I just have this little phrase, if you're saved, you're sent. If you're saved, you're sent. If God has changed your heart, if by his grace he has given you life, beyond the sinfulness of who you are. He's resurrected life and he's given you hope. He's brought you from death to life. Not made you better, right? That's not what God does. He makes you alive. And when he does that, he also gives you the commission to make disciples. If you're saved, you're sinned. I want to just kind of break down what happens at, at, in Acts 2 really quickly. According to Tim Keller, he's one of my favorite kind of theologians and speakers. He said, you know, I've always wondered about the, the flames of, of, of fire above people's heads. It's such a strange kind of a thing. What, what was that like? What did that look like? What was the purpose in it? Keller says that throughout Scripture, God has made his relational presence known to people. That that's the way through fire, he has sort of made his relational presence known. And so what we see in, in Genesis 15, we see God speaking with Abram and he's making a covenant with Abram. And he shows up as a flaming torch and smoke in his relational presence with Abram. And then we see God speak with Moses through a burning what? Bush. He's fire. And this is his relational presence with Moses. And then a little bit later, we see God hovering over the Mount, Mount Sinai and the people of God, the Israelites, around the bottom. And he's warning them, don't touch the mountain or you'll die, right? But it, it's in his relational presence, the fire and smoke above the mountain. And then a little bit later, we see God begins to lead those same people, right, the people of Israel, through the night with a pillar of fire. God has continued to show his relational presence to people through fire. But what's interesting in Acts 2 is that every believer has a special relational presence of God. Isn't that beautiful? Every single believer. So if you're saved, you have a special relational presence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what that means. That's what that is. Not only his presence, but his power to witness. If God has saved you, he sent you. What's interesting is the Holy Spirit comes in the very first message, right? And he's preached in all these languages, right? It's not just some gibberish going on. These are known languages. People would come to Pentecost from all over the known world. And what's incredible is these 120 people begin to speak in these other languages they didn't know. It's a miracle of God. And as they're speaking, the people who are outside are going, wait, I hear my language. And as they move in to hear what's being said, they realize it's, it's a message of the story of Jesus being the Messiah of the world. And the very first message that God gives through the Holy Spirit through people is in the, the languages of the known world about Jesus as Messiah. 
Every believer has a relational presence, a power to witness, and a commission to go to every tribe, nation, and tongue to make Jesus known. We see all of that in Acts 2. It's this beautiful moment. If you're saved, friends, you're, you're sent. But what's interesting here is God could have chosen another way, couldn't he? I mean, he could have picked some other way to make mission happen in the world. He could have chosen some other avenue, I guess. But he didn't. He chose you. And he chose me. He chose individuals to take the message of Jesus to others. Look at Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends, this is God's design for the message of Jesus to other people. Is that we as ordinary men and women, saved by the extraordinary grace of God, get to take this message to other people. Right? It doesn't necessarily look like this. It's conversations. It's going across the street. It's going across the world. But this is the design of God to take his message to people from one mouth to another, ears, to take this gospel in relationship to people. Now, what's interesting, though, when I hear that, sometimes I go, whoo, that's a lot of weight to carry, right? And I feel that weight often a, a, a lot. But what's comforting to me is that we don't carry this burden alone. We don't. He hadn't said, hey, Drew, take that message. You're, you're by yourself. Jerry, take that. You're by yourself. No. We do it as a community, as a church. Mission happens through the church. Look in the scripture with me in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 through 11. It says, to me, this is Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, everybody say through the church, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, this is a very rich text of Scripture. And I'm not going to try and break all this down. I want us to focus on verse 10. Look at what it says in verse 10. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. It's through the church. So yes, we preach. Yes, we relationally go and we, we spend time with people. We serve people. But we don't do this alone. We do this together. Is that encouraging to you? It is to me. And I look out at you and I go, yeah, yeah, these are my, these are my family. We can do this together. This is God's design. It's somehow in God's infinite wisdom. He's chosen that the very people who've been the benefactor of his amazing and marvelous grace get to turn around and take that grace and that story and that good news that has changed me to the rest of the world and say, Lord, would you use that to change somebody else? That's his design. We are called to go and preach, but we don't do it together. This is our job, friends. It's our responsibility. Beyond that, it's our privilege. It's our privilege to take the gospel of Jesus to the world. When I think about the disciples, I think about the fact that they, uh, they lived with Jesus. They did ministry with Jesus. They were with Jesus all the time, right? And the Bible says they were called the disciples. Now, the word disciple just means learner, right? It just means learner or follower. But then when Jesus ascends into heaven, 
they get a different title. Their title becomes from disciple to apostle. Now, the word apostle means missionary or sent. I just think it's very interesting because in all of our lives as followers of Jesus, there needs to be a time where we go from just learning about Jesus to being sent to tell people about Jesus. We never stop learning. We never stop being disciples and learners and followers. But there does need to be a place in our walk with Jesus where we say, Lord, use me and send me to be a missionary of your grace. Not just to learn. We can learn all the time. But what good does it do to learn, learn, learn and never speak the truth to someone else? They went from disciples to apostles to being sent. I think about uh, Saul, right? The great church persecutor. Killing Christians, pulling men and women out of their homes, the, the word says. He goes from being so passionate about his persecution of the church to being unbelievably passionate about his preaching of Jesus and planting churches after his exchange with Jesus on the road to Damascus. God changes him completely, right? And it's his desire that all the world, especially the Gentiles, know the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so he spends the rest of his life, in fact, he spends his life itself. He loses his head for the privilege to be able to take the gospel of Jesus to the world. Paul made a difference, didn't he? We all make a difference. I don't know if you know that. But we can all make a difference. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about uh, a few of you. Thinking about people who have influenced my life. I started thinking about people just in the book of Acts. Just to remind you of a couple. So Stephen, remember Stephen? He was one of the ones called up to help serve and lead and feed. And as he is, the Bible says he's full of grace. He's full of power. He actually did miraculous wonders and signs. He's an incredible guy. But Stephen got the chance to preach one message. Right? When he, when he was called up to the Sanhedrin, he gets a chance to preach one message. Did that message make a difference? Well, if you know the story of Acts, you know it made an incredible difference. Because God used his death. Because as he's preaching that message... The Sanhedrin begins to pick up rocks and rush towards him, and they murder him after his message. I don't, that's not that, you know, I worry about that as a preacher sometimes, you know. But they, uh, they rush at him with rocks, and they murder Stephen. But here's the thing you need to know. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. Well, the Bible says in Acts that when Stephen is murdered, that his murder causes a great fear to come on the church in Jerusalem. And so they begin to leave the church in Jerusalem, and they begin to, to go away from Jerusalem because they're fearful. And God uses Stephen's death to take the gospel and move it into, guess where? Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. Did Stephen's life and message in death make a difference? You better believe it did. It fulfilled the prophecy of Jesus and it began to, to jumpstart the gospel around the world. Philip, one of his counterparts who's been raised up, right, from the Hellenistic Jews to lead and serve, he, he's told by an angel to go to a certain place on a road. And the Bible says it was a desert place. Can you imagine Philip standing out on the corner going, really, God? I'm okay. He's just obedient. He's just standing there going, this is where you said to go and this is where I'll be. And then all of a sudden he hears a chariot rolling by. And it's the Ethiopian official, right? And he hears him reading. What, what is this? A, a lamb led to the slaughter. I don't know what this means. And Philip goes, this is my chance. 
And Philip runs next to him and says, hey, what you reading? And the Ethiopian says, I have no idea. Come on up in here and talk to me. And just a little ways down the road, Philip explains to him that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is that lamb before the foundations of the world slain for his soul and for the soul of his nation. And the man says, whoa, whoa, he gets saved. And he says, I see water over there. What keeps me from being baptized right now? Can we go? I, let's be ba- I want to be baptized right now. And they stop the chariot and they go and, and the man is baptized. Did Philip's life make a difference? Did it? You better believe it did. Do you think it made a difference in Ethiopia? We don't know. But I have a feeling that that message and that gospel went on. And some of the earliest civilization we know of, of Christ in, in that part of the world is in Ethiopia. You think there's a coincidence there? Think that made a difference even in the kingdom that he served? I love the character of Ananias. Remember Ananias? So Saul's on the road to Damascus. He meets Jesus. He's blinded. And the Lord goes to this little character in Scripture named Ananias and says, hey, um, I want you to go over and pray for Saul. Remember Ananias is like, you're talking about Saul, Saul, right? Saul who's pulling men and women out of their houses and killing people. We're talking about the same Saul. And Ananias in boldness and faith in his God takes his life in his hands and goes to pray over the persecutor of the church, Saul. But Saul's a broken man. Ananias gets the opportunity to pray over him. These these scales fall from his eyes. Saul is saved. Ananias gets a chance to help disciple Saul, baptize Saul. We don't hear about Ananias again. Did did Ananias' life make a difference? Yes. What made the difference in Ananias' life or Philip's life or Stephen's life or some of these others, Barnabas, Timothy? What made the difference in their life? Obedience. They said, Jesus, yes. Doesn't matter the question. Yes is my answer. Whatever you call me to do, wherever you call me to go, yes is my answer. Here's my question for us this morning. Who impacted your life? Who has influenced your life beyond measure? Think about it right now. Go back in your memory. When I think about my life, I can't help but think about Donnie Parrish. Donnie Parrish was a youth pastor in Louisiana, and he he loved and cared for students in that church. And one of those students was a little junior high girl whose family had been devastated by divorce, and she was just trying to find her way, her identity in Jesus. And he helped. He loved her well. That's her right there. And then he moved to Temple Baptist Church, and he began to invest in a football player that couldn't care less about anything. And he changed my life. And then we both go to CBC because we want to follow Jesus and know him more. And by God's grace, we come together. Donnie, his life has impacted our life greatly. The person I think about most in the last three years who's more than impacted my life, has changed my life, has blessed my life, who has mentored me and cared for me and led me so beautifully, is Brother Jerry. He is one of my closest friends. Uh, We talk about everything. He is so kind. He is so supportive. He is so encouraging. And and when I think about him, I I can't help but think about South City because I don't think this would exist apart from his willingness to do what those other men and women did when they said, yes, God. See, it's easy to make things about us. 
It's easy to make things about our preference and what we want. He didn't do that. He said, God, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about what you want. And I know you want people to know you. And so what do we have to do to start this church over again so that we can make disciples for the glory of God? What do we have to do? We'll do anything. And he has been holding my arms up. He has been encouraging us. He has been leading us. He has been pastoring us. And he was pastoring years before. But guess what? He's been doing it his whole life. If you know him, you know that he's been caring for people, pastoring people, mentoring people, making a difference, an impact, and influence around this world, literally like nobody that I know. He's an incredible man. Uh, I've uh, got a friend by the name of Larry Barker who is, serves at, uh, at the BMA. He leads churches to try and be healthier churches and helps church planning, and he's a mentor of mine as well. He told me, Brother Jerry, that the guy that discipled him, the guy that mentored him, he just was a kid growing up in Florida, and the guy that mentored him and discipled him was won to the Lord by a young pastor by the name of Jerry Kidd. Does his life make a difference? No question. No question. I, um, I've asked Brother Jerry if he'd come up and sit with me on some stools, and one of my favorite things to do, honestly, is to sit at his feet and listen to stories of his mission trips and some of the things that he's done. I want you to hear a few of those this morning. Is that okay? So y'all, let's give him a hand. Come on up here, Brother Jerry. So, Brother Jerry, um, it's crazy coincidence you turn 80 tomorrow. Did you know that? And I thought it would be appropriate for us all to sing happy birthday to him. However, I changed my mind and I decided that I want a good friend of his to play it for him instead of us singing it. So let's watch the screen. Sing, I'll sing you happy birthday tomorrow on the actual day, you know. Okay. It'll mean just that much more than Jamie's, you know. But no. <laughs> um, so when I think about somebody who's made a difference in my life, there's no question it's this man right here. And you share stories with us all the time, whether it's staff retreats, different things. He kind of brings us into some of these things. One of the stories you even shared was before you were even born. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, if I can. <laughs> well, I'm here today, uh, not because of me. Uh, I'm here today because uh, uh, in 1938, during harvest uh, season in 
South Arkansas. Uh, my mother and father were uh, harvesting cotton uh, by hand, pulling the cotton sacks down the rows and picking with their hands. And uh, they were expecting their first child. My mother was having uh, physical uh, difficulties and she bowed at the end of the cotton row on her cotton sack and prayed. And she said, God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him to you. And so I was dedicated to the Lord then. Amen. And that's how it all got started. <laughs> it's her fault. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about how you even came to the place where you, you felt called to go and be a missionary to, to serve in that way. Well, I was saved when I was 12 years old and uh, was in church regularly. Uh, whenever uh, I graduated from high school and went to college, and uh, at uh, South Arkansas University. Uh, was there in, a, in the dormitory uh, early. I uh, was um, selected to, to, to run the print shop uh, for them, and I was there by myself in a dorm at night, and God began to speak to my heart, and uh, after a few months of battling back and forth, God won, and I said, I will. He wanted me to be uh, his servant in the ministry, and uh, so went to CBC and uh, graduated there. Uh, our first pastorate was in Spring Hill, Louisiana. We were there four years, and then we were able to go to Fort Walton Beach, Florida, as uh, an interstate missionary working in our uh, mission church there. And uh, we were very interested in missions, always had missionaries coming uh, and visiting us. And uh, one night a missionary was there showing his slides about uh, the work that he was doing in Brazil uh, with uh, an airplane. And I was sitting there looking at it, and I've always liked the airplanes, and I thought, man, <clears throat> this is the best of both worlds. He's getting to fly an airplane and uh, preach at the same time. <laughs> and uh, there was no Daniel experience with the handwriting on the wall, but it was loud enough that I heard it. Well, I can use you if you will do that. And so uh, we started our process of, uh, of getting elected to be missionaries to uh, South America, Bolivia. Yeah, so you end up going to Bolivia, a missionary to Bolivia, and there's a, I know there's a, even a wonderful story um, of getting to Bolivia. It took three months, I think, of, of yeah. travel to get down there, and Miss Sue's got some great stories about that as well. Um, and then, so you get down there, and you're, you're flying this bush plane, 
into different areas, remote areas to tribes and places, and you're taking medical equipment and things. You told me one time there was a story where the plane almost didn't make it. What, tell us a little bit about that kind of miracle moment. Well, it's a little embarrassing because it's called pilot error. Mm. <laughs> no, it was a, just a routine day in the, in, the, in the life of a missionary pilot. We, were, uh, we helped missionaries who lived in the remote regions, and there was a family uh, living on the border of Brazil and Bolivia. Uh, they were from the country of Latvia. Uh, they were Latvian Baptist, and uh, they were working with the, uh, a group of uncivilized Indians. They had just started coming out of the jungle, and they were working with them. And they had come and asked me, uh, they came into the city uh, to get supplies, and they asked me if I would fly them uh, out to their jungle post. So uh, I said I would, and we had taken off from the uh, airstrip where our, our uh, house was. We lived uh, in the airplane hangar at that time. And uh, we were flying just about 3,000, 4,000 feet off the ground. And uh, I noticed the clouds were beginning to, uh, to build and uh, it, the, uh, it was getting, they were getting lower. And uh, I started to just, uh, flying through the edge of the clouds and I thought well this is dangerous I can't see what's going on up above when I go through this next one I'm going to change my altitude and go down and uh, I started into the next one and uh, the lights went out uh, I flew into the cell of a thunderstorm and uh, the updrafts and downdrafts caught the wings of the little airplane and it started tossing us about like a, like a hayseed. It, it was just, it was uncontrollable. We were going up and down and uh, some of the instruments were broken and uh, it was thundering and lightning and uh, just complete blackness and just a horrifying, uh, horrifying experience. And uh, in the midst of that, I know I, I cried out to God. I said, God, please forgive me. I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to destroy the airplane, the instrument you've given us. I'm going to kill these people and myself. And uh, uh, I, I was just, I just cried out to God. And, and once again, uh, the voice came as clearly as it could be. I don't know if it came through the headphones on the, uh, on the, or what, but it said, no, I'm not through with you yet. Amen. And about that time, I looked at the uh, vertical speed indicator, and we were going down toward the ground at uh, the rate of 2,000 feet a minute. And I didn't know how high we were, but uh, we were thrown out the bottom of the, th of the thunderstorm from blackness to bright sunshine again. All I could see was green, and I knew it had to be the tops of the trees uh, that were there on the jungle floor. And uh, I had no, nothing else to do but to 
pull back on the yoke of the airplane to stop the descent and keep us from going into the treetops. And uh, it was a horrifying experience. Uh, uh, we just felt like all the skin was going to be pulled off our face and, and everything, but we leveled out just a few seconds before we got to the tops of the trees. And uh, later on, we found out that uh, uh, when I stopped for for refueling, well, I, we had a call just got, after we got out of that that experience. We had a call from another mission station that had a young man uh, very seriously ill, and they wanted us to stop our flight and to take him to the hospital. And uh, when I got up to put uh, gasoline uh, in the airplane on top of it, well, I saw the the wings had had been wrinkled all the way from one wingtip to the other, uh, but they they stayed on it because. Uh, and you did another flight after that with the wrinkled wings. Oh yeah, it stayed <laughs> it, it, it stayed that way the rest of the time. <clears throat> it was a joke with everybody uh, and in all the other pilots and everything. Uh, this is the kid plane. This is mm. what he does to airplanes. Right. And so, but the God, the God who made gravity, right. defied gravity, right. because he said, I, I'll be with you. Yep. And it reminded me of an old song that we used to sing. I've seen the lightning flashing, and I've heard the thunder roll. I've, sel I've felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. But I've heard the voice of Jesus telling me still to fight on. For I promised never to leave you. Never to leave you alone. Amen. Amen. We know, a lot of people know the Bolivia season and, and how God used you, you all there in such a tremendous way. But a lot of people don't know that he used you tremendously in... Uh, in Russia, USSR, kind of in that area, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, there was an opportunity to take the gospel into that, to that uh, part of that country. And so can you give us just a short kind of a re uh, clip of that, what happened with that? Well, in 1982, we were home on furlough, and uh, uh, the people of the association uh, elected me to work with our international missions team all over the world. So I began to to travel to the different countries where we had missionaries and had the privilege of, of working with so many great, great people of God. Uh, it was during that time that uh, the uh, wall uh, came down and uh, we were privileged to take the gospel in, into Russia. And most people don't know that our uh, program in Russia started actually uh, because a Russian uh, lady from Kazakhstan uh, was working on a, a Russian troller, and they, and they uh, uh, came into the port of New Orleans, and she jumped ship and uh, was caught and put in jail. And one of our pastors was ministering to her in jail, and he called us and ask us if we could come and meet with her and uh, if we could uh, 
she she wanted us to send Bibles. She she accepted Christ as her Savior, and she wanted us to send Bibles uh, and to to look into sending missionaries uh, uh, into Kazakhstan. And so uh, we did uh, look into it, and I made contact with uh, the Russian embassy uh, that was in uh, Boston at that time, and they set me up a, a flight uh, into uh, Moscow. They told me that I needed to go to the Office of Religious Affairs. Uh, so I knew no one. Uh, we, they arranged uh, for a travel agency to meet me to, for, to interpret uh, for me. And uh, I was scared to death going into Moscow. I've never seen such confusion in, in an airport in all of my life. And I didn't know where I was going. And finally, uh, I looked at the end of a, the whole crowd of people. And there was a lady standing there holding a, a plaque up. And it had my name on it. And I was happy to see my name then and so she took me uh, we went in a taxi and we were going to downtown Moscow and she said what are you here for and I said well I want to make uh, contact with the office of religious affairs and she looked kind of funny and she said I've never heard of such an office uh, of religious affairs and uh, she took me to the hotel and and then uh, she said, I'm going to, um, I'll try to find out. And so she called me a two, two or three hours later. She said, there, there is no office of religious affairs in Moscow. She said, what are you here for? And I said, well, I just want to contact the Baptist people uh, that are in Russia and uh, to see what we can do uh, with them, working with them. And... Uh, she said, uh, well, when I was a little girl, just five or six years old, I remember that my grandmother took me to a Baptist church. Are you interested in me trying to find that church? And I said, I certainly am. I don't know anyone else here. And so she called me later and said, uh, I have contacted the church. I have, uh, I have uh, made arrangements for you to meet with Alexander Fidishut, who is the Secretary General of the Euro-Asiatic Federation of Evangelical Christian Baptists. And uh, so the next morning, uh, I'm, I met with him, and uh, we began to uh, devise and work up a program to where our churches could sponsor the, uh, missionaries, uh, national missionaries. And uh, it came up to, we, we finally had a total of 288 national missionaries that our churches in America were sponsoring in the, in the former Soviet Union. And you sponsored them for 10 years? Yes, or more, yeah. So you, had no, you didn't know where you are going, had no real contact. Uh, and, and yet the Lord gave you step-by-step step blessing. And there's, a, <laughs> there's another story about, that goes right along with it of how God works. It's just amazing, amazing how God works. 
when we started this program, uh, we started going to our churches and talking to them about it. And we announced on a radio uh, station in Oklahoma that we were coming to Oklahoma to uh, make a presentation to our churches. <clears throat> there was a lady uh, doing her housework that morning, had her radio on, and heard that, and God touched her heart to call her husband, who knew who was fluent in Russian, and uh, called him and said, we've got to go to this meeting. That was Colleen Franks. <laughs> Jeff Franks was the missionary. He's, he's with us today. They spent 22 years opening the way for us in Russia and teaching and training uh, people uh, in Russia. Amen. There's a, something about these Russian trips. You would go over there almost every three or four months. You're going back and forth. Yeah. And you carried, you had to carry something with you that was kind of valuable. How did you, what'd you how'd you do that? Well, we had no way of getting funds in. There was no secure way of getting funds in. No banks could be trusted. There was no, uh, we didn't have Walmart to Walmart uh, back that time. <laughs> we couldn't send anything in. So uh, I had to take the funds in. And you would, how would you do that? Well, I had two special money belts made, and uh, I put the money around, around my waist and put on big coats where they couldn't detect what it was. And uh, How much money are we talking about? Well, the most, the most I ever carried in was $130,000. And yeah, okay. You, you talking about literally sleeping with it? <laughs> yeah. It was my pillow. Yeah. And, and I don't I, if we can make it short. I, there's a story because I've pressed in on some of these stories. Some. Uh, he got caught one time, and um, of course that's a lot of money and. Very easy to be taken and, and him be killed or whatever, but tell us quickly, God intervened somehow. Well, uh, I was, had been in Moscow. All the missionaries would come to Moscow from the other countries. We worked in 12 countries of the former Soviet Union, and all of these missionaries uh, or their representatives would come to Moscow and give reports of the missions work that they were doing, and I would uh, give the money to them. Uh, I was leaving Moscow, going to Uzbekistan. Brother Jeff was waiting for me in Uzbekistan, and uh, uh, I always kept it on me, and there was no problem walking through the uh, security machine because the money was not detected. Uh, I was able to walk through it. But just as I was about to go through the, the, the security machine there at uh, the uh, airport, uh, it broke. It went down. Mm. And so they had to start uh, patting us down. And when they patted me, they felt something. And uh, they got very upset about it. 
and took me off to a room. And I, of course, I, I only had money for about four or five other countries, so there was, I didn't have but about thirty or forty thousand dollars at that time, but, uh, but they were all, oh, they went into a rage, and uh, there were six officials that were working with me that that night, and uh, they said first thing they said was, uh, we've called the Moscow police, they're on the way to get you you're going to jail and you'll never see the United States again. And they started from there. Uh, they would come in and with their walkie-talkies and, and, and talk on it, and then they would say, we just took your luggage off the airplane. And uh, so just things like that for about, uh, about two hours. And uh, finally, long story short, finally, God always sends somebody to help you in your situation. Never forget that. Amen. God is with you. Yeah. And there was one man that always seemed not to be as cruel as the, as the other six. I mean, the other five. Mm. There were six of them and all. And uh, so when he came back, I said, now look, you see, I'm not doing anything wrong. This is money designated for uh, a benevolent work and I'm not doing anything wrong. And you you can help me, and so they kept one another one after another coming back, coming back, and so uh, finally uh, he came back in, and he and he threw my envelopes of money down on the desk, and he said, "Okay, go get on the airplane," and uh, I knew that one envelope was missing, which was my expense money, and uh, I said, "What about my expense money?" <laughs> And uh, that's what you call pushing the envelope. A little bit. Yeah. I'm seeing a pattern, actually, yeah. of that. Yeah. And uh, so he had his hand behind his back, and that envelope was in it, and he threw that one down, and he said, go get on the airplane. When I picked it up, I knew there was money missing, but I didn't think I should push it any further. Uh, yeah. Good, good move. So I, so I got on the airplane, and, and they had taken about just enough for each one of the six of them to have uh, $200, which was uh, well over a month's salary, uh, two months' salary for them. But the fact that you walked away from there with anything is a miracle of God. Yeah. And with your life, yeah. honestly. Right. Hey, you know, you've had so many adventures, um, and life in Jesus is no question it's that, but did you ever think at 77 that God would lead you into the adventure of South City? No. <laughs> no, I didn't. When it uh, became time for uh, the missions office to, and, and the international missions to move into a more exciting and different direction uh, uh, and uh, younger men coming in to take over with better ideas and all of that, uh, I moved into uh, what is called missionary care. Brother John David, who's here with us today, John David Smith, the executive director, and I talk. I went into his office one day, and I said, you know, God had been working on my heart. And uh, I said, Brother John David, I believe God wants me to, to pastor Temple Church. Uh, he... He has shown me, he's given me a vision for the church. 
he, he wants a church that can reach the uh, Southwest Little Rock community, a uh, multicultural, multi-generational church. And I believe that, that he wants me to lead it. I don't know why. And, of course, when I told my wife that, she said, are you crazy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mine said the same thing. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, but John David was so uh, cooperative. He said, hey, we'll help with this any way we can. So I went part-time with the missions and part-time with the church, uh, pastoring it. And uh, no, all of my life, God has open doors. It's been one consistent life of God opening the door. And if, if you will just say, if you will just say, I will, I'll go. I'll do it. No matter what it is, I'll do it. God, you're, <laughs> you're in charge and you know what's going on and you, and, and you can take care of it. I can't do it any, anyway. And so if, if, you know, if you'll just do that. And so it was, it was just another, and what I might could add, the most exciting thing that I've seen in all of ministry is what God's doing here at South City Church. Amen. Well, Brother Jerry, I got to be honest with you. I, I told you that we wanted to kind of help celebrate your birthday, but we, I wasn't completely truthful with you. We, we want to do a little more than that. We, see that look? He gives me that look quite a bit. Um, I figured I would be in trouble either way, so we're going to go for it. Uh, but it's scriptural. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered, of double, be considered worthy of double honor. And there's no question, there's, every person in this room knows that as a pastor of this church, uh, in your life and ministry, you have ruled and cared and served and pastored well. Your beautiful wife, Miss Sue, has been by your side. We talked about Miss Sue this morning, and I said, you couldn't have done one of these things without her, could you? He said, not one. Not one. I had asked Drew for just a moment, uh, and, and that's, what I, that's what I wanted the moment for. Uh, when I think of my wife, uh, the first thing I think of is strength, uh, compassion, tenacity, uh, Always, always, always ready. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't go unless she had said, "We can go." I will. So every time I've had, every time I have said, yeah. "I will," she has said, "I will," without qualms at all, and. I don't want it to be a, you know, we had the aviation ministry and, the, and it was called the wings of the wind, but uh, she is definitely the wind beneath my wings. I, I could not have done anything without her. And I appreciate her so much. And I want to 
to say this also. I, I, I want to say thanks a million times. Thanks to, to Sue. <clears throat> I want to say thanks to our two children, uh, Jason and Julie. Uh, in the missionary work, we call them MKs. And MKs sometimes have a hard way to go. You pick them up at three and five years of age and you take them to another country. They have to adjust to a new home, to a new language, to new customs, everything. And in eight years, they get well adjusted and they're home. And then you bring them back to the United States. Suddenly they are uh, a people without a country. Mm -hmm. They don't know where they belong. It's hard. It's difficult. And for them, because I traveled all the time, uh, they came back to a strange land uh, with a part-time dad, mm -hmm. which is another reason Sue had to take up the slack for all these years. And I want to thank them publicly. They're both here today. Jason came up from Florida. And I want to thank them Absolutely. for the sacrifices that they've made. Absolutely. Brother Jerry, um, we want to honor you. We want to honor Miss Sue. We want to honor your entire family for the work that you've done, for the ministry that you've had. And uh, I just want to play this little video that Miss Sue helped me with to give us some pictures and context of some of these stories. You satisfied my soul And I stand amazed at the blessings I know This day, the mercies you show make it clear to see that you love me and you give each breath I breathe. You color the sky. With beautiful leaves You've proven that you will provide for my needs The way you feel me, Lord How could I ask for more? And I'm satisfied with me. 
I've asked uh, John David, if you'll come up here, um, you're going to be seated just for a couple of minutes here. I've asked John David. John David served as one of our advisory, advisory elders for the first year and a half of South City's existence, and, um, and he's been so wonderful. Bill is also with us. We're so thankful for you, Bill, as well, Bill Wellens. Two advisory elders that have really helped shape who we are and such dear friends. But, John David, you've worked with Brother Jerry for a long time, and I know that you would want just a, a minute or two just to kind of say something for him. Well, Brother Jerry, it's, uh, it's awesome to be here. And happy birthday. We love you. Uh, you all know that he's crazy now, right? Yeah. You, you got that part of it. You might not have known. I think most of us know, most of you have been around him very much, Two things that really stick out about Brother Jerry, courage and compassion. And you heard that all through, not what he's only done in the past, but what he continues right. to do. Uh, he continues to do amazing things. You know, I think back to when my wife and Kim, my wife Kim and I 
or in our early 20s heading to West Africa. Well, Brother Jerry is the one that helped us walk that journey. He's the one that helped us sort through what was God telling us to do and how would it look. And he's the one that answered our historical, hysterical phone calls that time, right? He's the one that had us walk us through those times. And, and uh, what an incredible mentor and a man who just truly has done that for literally hundreds and hundreds of others. And I've said this about Brother Jerry a lot of times. I know no other human being personally that has affected and impacted more people around the world than Jerry Kidd. And that's a true statement. Brother Jerry, I want to say one last thing to you this morning. You know, Drew, in your sermon about the mission and about different characters in the book of Acts, Brother Jerry, you, for me, are truly a modern-day Barnabas. You are. Mm -hmm. Three main characteristics I see in you that I see in Barnabas in the Bible, Brother Jerry. Mm -hmm. Number one, Barnabas was completely sold out to the mission. He exhausted his life for the cause of Christ. And you have done that and are doing that. Number two, Barnabas knew how to step back into the shadows and let those emerging leaders take the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And Brother Jerry, I know Drew has seen that in his life. I've seen that in my life. I've seen that in the lives of many other leaders who wouldn't be where they are today if you hadn't stepped back and pushed us forward. Mm -hmm. And you've done that many times. And you've done that for me. And the last thing, we know Barnabas as the encourager. Mm -hmm. I've never been around you, Brother Jerry, even in your silence, where you didn't encourage me. Right. And brother, I appreciate that so much, and I love you. God bless you. Thank you, Tony. I figure since I'm in this much trouble, let's just keep on going for a second. Is that okay? Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Charles Holmes from the BMA Seminary to come up here for a moment. Um, yeah. Dr. Holmes is coming from Jacksonville, Texas uh, last night to be with us today. And uh, we're so thankful, Dr. Holmes, for your presence and, and for your willingness to help serve us today. Let me give this to you, sir. early or mid-80s when the Lord started to uh, call me into the ministry. I've been raised in convention churches all my life, and I moved to Waxahachie, Texas. And along the way, I ran into Brother L.H. Rainey, and he had me start going to church with him, our family, to Farley Street Baptist Church. So we were all on the kind of the verge of being a Missionary Baptist Association or Southern Baptist. And that night while we were visiting there, I didn't know he was coming, but Brother Jerry Kidd came and spoke that night about missions. And I'd gone all my life in different kinds of churches and uh, never had the opportunity one single time in large churches, in church all my life, to have somebody come that was really a real missionary. And talk about missions from their heart, from firsthand experience. And when that happened that night, after listening to Brother Jerry, I decided that the Baptist Missionary Association was where I needed to be. Wow. 
That's part of the story right there. You, you knew part of that story. Wow. If somebody hold this for me right yes, here, it would be a help. Legitimate universities and seminaries can't just hand out degrees. There has to be a reason for it. The Doctor of Divinity degree is a degree that's awarded to individuals for three different reasons. Scholarly achievement, attainments which demonstrate unusual creativity, or distinguished service. Brother Jerry Dwayne Kidd has a long record of a distinguished service with more than 60 years of missionary service, 50 of which involved directly in missions. So our trustees at our annual meeting just a week or so ago, and our board meeting that takes place at that time every year, we had this composed. Recognized for substantial and meritorious contributions to the kingdom of God. The churches he's led, the overall global missions program of the BMA of America, and service to countless missionaries and individuals around the world. Brother Kidd has served faithfully for decades, BMA Global Missions. His contributions include church planting in Florida, missionary work in Bolivia, including being a bush pilot, as well as serving as assistant director of missions for the BMA Global Missions. As a director of international missions, BMA missions expanded into nearly 80 countries. Throughout his ministry, is led with courage and compassion and continues to mentor missionaries as director of missionary care for the BMA of America and to serve on staff at the South City Church. Therefore, on the occasion of his 80th birthday, based upon all this evidence of distinguished service and upon the recommendation the Baptist Missionary Association of America Department of Missions and the South City Church of Little Rock, Arkansas, and upon the approval of the Baptist Missionary Association Seminary Board of Trustees, I bestow upon Jerry Dwayne Kidd the degree of Doctor of Divinity with all its rights, privileges, and responsibilities. You know that Daryl and Elvis and I have been working for two years towards a doctorate, and you just beat all three of us. <laughs> it's not fair, but it is fair, completely fair. Brother Jerry, I stand here in tears because not only are you my dear friend, you're my dear mentor, and I love you with all my heart, as does your church, as does the BMA of America, as does all the people all over the world that you've influenced cared for, blessed, served, preached to, flown. <laughs> Thank you. We love you. Thanks. You want to say anything? No, I don't think I can. <laughs> wow.
Someone said a while ago when we walked in, how do you feel today? And I said, embarrassed. I really am now. What, what God can do in the life of someone who has no abilities. No smarts, no nothing is an amazing thing. And I would say to you, there's, there's no corner on the market on it. Just walk with God. Yeah. And He'll do great things for you in your life. Uh, yeah. You know, last Friday night, we had a marriage seminar here. And uh, Dr. Our Francis Chan and his wife, Lisa, Francis Chan said something about their marriage. And he said, our marriage has been a mission. And he said, we haven't had time to fight because we've been on mission. And I thought then, well, that's what God has done for Sue and me. Our marriage has been a mission every day mm-hmm. since since we were married. Yeah. And I can't say enough about what she has done for me. Well, you are both um, so wonderful. And yet we've talked about this, you know, God uses ordinary people. Ordinary people like Brother Jerry and Miss Sue and like you. And Brother Jerry told me early on, I told him I wanted to help with, I wanted him to help me do something today. He didn't know exactly what it was. And he said, don't you make me the object of this service. I said, no, sir. Here's the object of the service. God can use your life to make a difference. Your life, my life. David Platt says that what we have to do is wake up every morning, we have to write a blank check to God and we have to slide it across the desk, the kitchen table, whatever, and say, Lord, here's my life, use it however you choose, you spend my life however you want. My answer is yes. And this morning I know that we both wanna ask you, is that the answer that you've given the Lord? Is your life a yes? Because he wants to use ordinary people like us for his glory. Miss Sue, would you come up? And we want to pray over you all. Go ahead and come up here if you will. Bill, would you mind coming? I've asked Bill Wellens, who served us so faithfully for over a year and a half, one of our advisory elders. Bill's one of the founding pastors of Fellowship Bible Church and, and a mentor of mine. And a dear friend of Jerry, loves him very much. It's the reason he's here. Bill, would you uh, say whatever you want, but when you finish, would you pray over Jerry and Sue? Well, I think it's already been said. I, I got to know Brother Jerry serving on the advisory elder board here at the church was an absolute blast. And um, uh, the only thing I, I would add is just, uh, and I've told you this before, but I'll, I guess I just embarrass you all over again, but 
Jerry reminds me of good, kind, courageous, bold humility. And that last word is not something you go out and say, well, I'm going I'm to be, be real humble today. I'm going to learn how to tell you all how to be real humble. I think it's a God-given gift. I think it's a sacred thing. And uh, we hear that in your words this morning and always. And I love you. You loved me. And I love you. And it was an honor to serve with you and would always be. Yeah, let's pray. Father, I think we all feel the same way. We're just rejoicing. We're celebrating your goodness in the life of a man and a woman who said, we'll go, uh, saved and then sent, and uh, never looked back. I thank you for their example uh, today. Lord, we celebrate Jerry's birthday, really both of them, his physical birth and his spiritual birth. Uh, we're just thankful to you uh, for his example. It's an inspiration and a motivation to me, and I believe to all of us. Lord, praise you. We thank you for all that you have done in and through this godly couple. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, uh, before we go, I wanted to have a time where people could share something that means a lot to them. We just don't have time this morning. But please still do that with Jerry and Sue. If the Lord's laid something on your heart to say thank you for how you've loved me or how you've cared for me, please let them know that, okay? And they're going to be down front here, and we're going to close in just a second. So when you, when you come back, just come tell them hello. Also, before you leave, uh, we want to give a gift to them. And so we're going to have a couple of guys with offering plates in the backs, a couple of our ushers. If you have a gift, just make that out to Jerry Kidd, and uh, we want to give them that gift, whatever comes in this morning. We want to be blessing to them. And so, ushers, if you'll go ahead and make yourself ready to do that. Uh, you don't have to make it to Dr. Jerry Kidd. Let's not give him the big head just yet. But um, anyway, let's, uh, let's come and celebrate and love on them and share with them how very much they mean to us. Thank you for being with us at South City. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye.